you would please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to read through verse 48. Genesis 25. Uh, Not 48. How about 18? Just found these glasses again this morning. And uh, I think I need to throw them away. They They were in the pocket of this shirt, and uh, I've already gotten new ones ordered, and now I see that that was providential. All right, Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 18, this is God's word. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letishites, and the Leamites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. This is the account of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Naphish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the twelve tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. So what's what's the takeaway? Well, Abraham is such an extraordinary example of faith, one who trusted in God that still 
to this day, he is held up as an example. And one of the reasons for that is not only because of what we know about him from Genesis, but because of the way that that theme of his faith is picked up later in the scriptures, especially in the book of Romans. It is the example, also in Hebrews, by the way, but it is the example of Abraham and his faith believing God and the way that God responded to that faith that is held up as an example for us. But as we have seen prior to this chapter, Abraham was not a perfect man. Abraham was not a man who did everything well. He was a man who sometimes, and more than a couple of times, was dishonest. And eventually, Abraham dies. Not because he was dishonest on occasion, but because he's human. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. I cannot look at you and tell whether or not you're going to get married. Okay? I cannot look at you and tell whether or not you're going to end up having a brilliant career in some field. Academia, medicine, mechanical engineering. I don't know. I would not have guessed that one of the young women who, as a teen here, um, caught up from being way behind in school and memorized the Sermon on the Mount, earning a trip to Amelia Island, was with us down there for a week. I would not have guessed that by the time she was 30 years old, she would have won two Tony Awards on Broadway. Shocking to everyone, not just here, but on Broadway. <laughs> you just don't do that. I mean, that's extraordinary. I couldn't have seen that coming. But I could tell you, without a doubt, one thing about your future. You're going to die. When I was a teenager, I was uh, invited to come out to Southern California by my sister and her husband. They were living there at the time. He was in grad school. and um, They wanted me to come and see the amazing things that God was doing in the so-called uh, Jesus People movement. I was making cover of Time magazine, Life magazine, a bunch of other magazines that don't exist anymore. Um, I mean, it was amazing how God was working. We visited Calvary Chapel where Chuck Smith was the pastor, and uh, God was using him in amazing ways, and huge numbers of young people, many of whom had been strung out on drugs and involved in all kinds of things, were putting their faith in Jesus Christ and going down and having baptism in the ocean. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was a mass movement of people, absolutely amazing, and it was caused by a marvelous movement of the Holy Spirit. And they wanted me to see this, so I went out to see it, and it was remarkable. It was amazing. And while I was staying there, 
I was invited by some young adults who were very zealous for the Lord to join them in going witnessing on Sunset Strip, famous street there in Hollywood, California, where um, all kinds of uh, things happen. And uh, I was invited to go with them in order to try and share the gospel with people out on the strip. And the particular tool that we would be using was passing out copies of the Hollywood Free Paper. There was a popular pagan newspaper, not just secular, but really bad stuff, called Hollywood Free Press. And uh, it had all kinds of things in it that uh, I can't recommend. But a group of Christians decided that they would put together a newspaper called Hollywood Free Paper. And uh, unlike Hollywood Free Press, which was free to print anything they wanted but sold to the public, Hollywood Free Paper shared the gospel and was given free to people. Okay? So, we're going to hand out copies of the Hollywood Free Paper. And they said... uh, you may want to get some sleep because we won't go down there until midnight, okay? Because that's when the action starts. Okay. So we went down at midnight, and I just kind of walked with them for the first hour or so, watching how they would approach people, what they would say, what they would do, et cetera. And it was an education because they'd been doing this for quite some time, and I had never even been on Sunset Strip before. An unforgettable part of that experience that night, or that early morning, was one of the guys who had invited me to come, running up to two women who were coming out of a nightclub and saying, focused in on one of them and said, lady, lady, you're going to die. And she goes, what, what? And he said, well, face it, lady, we're all going to die. The question is, what's going to happen next? I thought, well, that's an interesting intro. (laughs) I have not used that since, except in a more dignified manner to remind people we're all mortal. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. I have done the funeral of little children. I've done the funeral of teenagers. I've done the funeral of young adults. I've done the funeral of old people. People die at various ages, but they all die. The mortality rate is 100%. And if you don't live your life with an awareness of your mortality, you're going to squander your life. Abraham, after his wife had died, took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bore him a bunch of sons. And it talks about the children of those sons. And then it talks about how he settled his estate. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But before he died, while he was still living, he gave gifts to his, the sons of his concubines and then sent them away 
so that they would not be competing with Isaac. Okay? And then, having lived 175 years, Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. He didn't make it to his 176th birthday. Mm. My mom lived to be 99. And about a month later, she breathed her last and went to be with the Lord. My father's mother lived until one week before her 101st birthday and died because of a doctor's error. She had fallen and broken her hip and I won't go into all the details, but the bottom line is if, if the doctor who did the surgery on her had done right, she might have lived for another 10 years. And it wasn't because she was determined to do whatever it takes to live. She needed her gallbladder out in her 90s. She was 97. And the doctor didn't want to do it. And she said, why? I'm in pain. And he said, well, at your age, it's risky. She said, you mean I might die? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, do the surgery. She wasn't afraid to die. She wasn't determined to keep on living by whatever means necessary. But she died one week before her 101st birthday. Couldn't we have just kind of just done something to, you know, put her on machines or something to get her over that just, just one more week. No, when it was her time, it was her time. She was gone just before her 101st birthday. George Beverly Shea lived longer than she did. I don't know who George Beverly Shea is. Well, I do. He was a friend. And when my mom had died, and her birthday rolled around, I couldn't wish her a, birth, a happy birthday. Well, yes, you could. You could do it on Facebook. I don't do that. When people can't read Facebook anymore, I don't think there's any point in trying to send them a message. The Bible tells us we're not supposed to try and commune with the spirits of the dead. So, not even through Facebook. But I call George Beverly Shea. And I said, uh, I know it's your birthday because it's my mom's birthday and she's gone, so I wanted to call and wish you a happy birthday. And he thanked me and said, uh, let, me, let me sing a little number for you in Norwegian because he and my mom were Norwegian. And so he sang a little number over the phone. And what a great guy. You know what happened to him, don't you? He died. He died. That's what happened to Abraham. That's because we're all mortal, and no matter what we accomplish, how many children we have, how many grandchildren we have, whatever we do, even if we have exemplary faith in God, we're all going to die. And when we die, we're all going to stand before God and give an account. Let me tell you, I don't want to have to answer for everything that I've done. How, how, can we, how can we possibly hope to stand before God? 
Jesus took our punishment, our guilt upon himself. And so judgment is not the same for those who are in Christ and those who have refused him. You're under the wrath of God if you don't know Jesus. If you are in Christ, then you are covered by his blood. Your sins are washed away. And you stand before God, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's the way I want to face God. Not on the basis of my stuff. Hey, God, did you see this? I did this. I didn't do that. No. If it were on that basis, I would be condemned. But I can stand before God with confidence in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I want us to see from this passage is that all of us are going to die, just as Abraham did, and that all of us have sinned, just as Abraham did. But that there is hope for those who are in Christ because the God that Abraham believed in is the God who saves. So, we see our mortality. We see the fact that our only hope is in the God of Abraham who provided salvation through Jesus Christ. And then, We see also the continuation of Abraham's offspring, not just through Isaac. That is the line of promise. That is the one through whom Messiah will come. Say, well, you know, why is is Isaac so special? Well, he was kind of a miracle birth, wasn't he? Well, yes, but that's not it. Because in the line that's going to follow you're going to see some non-miraculous births that also get special attention. Why? Because over and over and over, God is preserving the line through whom he will bring salvation. That's why Isaac is so important. He's not only the heir to Abraham, he is the one through whom One day, there will be a child born of a far greater miracle. A child born of a virgin. The one we celebrate at this time of year. Whose birth changed everything because he was born to save sinners. So, what about these other people? Well, they matter too. And that's why they're listed. And all these names that we have trouble with. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael. Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Timar, Jetur, Naphish, Kadima. These were the sons of Ishmael. And they became the 12 tribal rulers because each of them had descendants. 
Well, I thought the 12 tribes were of, of Israel. They will be, but that's a different 12 tribes. These folks who weren't part of that line, they weren't part of the redemptive line, those folks also ended up with 12 tribes. And if you got 12 tribes, you got to have 12 tribal rulers. Those folks were all important people in their day. They had their own tribe. They were the ruler of that tribe. And, and I'm sure you remember, you probably have uh, little things in, in your room uh, with their names on them. Uh, Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma. How, ma- how many of you know those names? Can you call those names off for me? No, I don't think so. Because as important as they were, rulers of a tribe, I am Abdil. Dead. Gone. And apart from Scripture, forgotten. God knows. God knows you. You may never be famous. The young woman who won the two Tony Awards, okay, she's not a graduate of the ranch. She left here and went back into public school. And years later, when she was being interviewed after her first Tony Award, she was being interviewed by the newspaper at UT, where she graduated. She talked about the time she spent at Wears Valley Ranch and how it enabled her to catch up and be able to go back into public high school and and do well. But you know what? She's won two Tony Awards, one of the youngest winners ever of Tony Awards. And uh, how many of you know her name? Okay, that's what I thought. How many of you know what a Tony Award is? That's the adults and a couple of kids. I mean, let me just tell you, the Tony Award is the biggest award you can win on Broadway. How many of you know what Broadway is? Okay, that's most of you. But believe it or not, there are tons of people in this world who have no idea what Broadway is. Okay, That's a street in New York City, isn't it? Well, yeah, but not in this context. In this context, we're talking about the theater district. We're talking about the group of theaters that put on productions that many people think are like the top of the pinnacle of show business. Okay? I mean... The ambition of many Hollywood stars, the people who make it big in the movies, you know, they're glad they make millions of dollars. They like being famous most of the time. But, um, but really, in order to prove themselves as worthy actors and actresses, a word that we used to use, now women who act are called actors. We wouldn't want to act as if their gender has anything to do with anything. So I'm not supposed to say actors and actresses. So let me say again. Actors and actresses. 
(laughs) who want to be recognized as truly great artists, or as some would say, artistes. Their ambition is to make it on Broadway. It is. It is. They've already made it in the movies. Oh, if I could do some, something on Broadway, that would be the fulfillment of my dream. You know what? They all die. And people forget them. Some of the most universally known people in show business are now total unknowns. If I were to tell, how many of you know who Brad Pitt is? That's most. I mean, it's interesting. Even Brad Pitt is already fading from view in the younger generation. Who? Pitt? Brad Pitt, huge megastar, okay? I mean, huge megastar. If I were to say, name a, an actor from the 1800s who was similarly famous as a leading man to Brad Pitt in modern times. Any names come to mind? Somebody from the 1800s who's really, really, really famous as an actor? You, you probably know one, probably going to be the one I'm going to name. All right, here it is. John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth. Okay, it's true. He was a super famous actor. I thought he was the guy who killed Abraham Lincoln. He was. And that's why you know his name. Not because of his acting. Not because of all the shows he starred in. Not because of all the people who were his fans. Not because of the money he made in show business. It's because he killed a president. Okay, I'm going to put in my devotional notes. Pastor Wood recommends if we want enduring fame, we need to kill someone important. (laughs) No, that is not the lesson. The lesson is if you think fame in this life is going to satisfy you, you are mistaken. If you think that some accomplishment is going to really, really make it so that you endure beyond death. You're mistaken. John Wilkes Booth is still famous. But I hope nobody here would want to be like John Wilkes Booth. All of us are going to die. All of us are going to stand before God and give an account. The only hope for anybody anywhere on the planet to have a really wonderful legacy is to be in right relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is the one who gives us 
life in this world and in the world to come. And I desperately want you to trust in him and realize you don't have to be famous here. When you trust Jesus, all the angels in heaven rejoice. When you trust Jesus, you become a child of the king. When you trust Jesus, God, who rules the universe, says you are mine forever. I will never let go of you. I love you. I sent my son to take your place. You are not justified because of what you do. You are justified because of what he did. I want you to know him. I want you to trust him. I want you to love him. Because he is the only one who gives life everlasting. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, not on the basis of our deeds, but in the name of Jesus. Help us, we pray, to believe what you say, to trust in you, and to rejoice in you, for you alone are worthy. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.